I've been really enjoying doing these interviews where we've been doing deep dives into real data and analysis to help us better understand our investment in Tesla and Tesla in general. Today, we're joined by Alexander Mertz. And so she is known on Twitter as Tesla Boomer Mama. Uh, she's become very famous, actually, because she follow, does these daily updates on the e, following these ETFs, exchange-traded funds, uh, similar to like a mutual fund. And she's following these big whale investors, institutional investors, whether they've invested in Tesla and whether or not they're buying or selling on a daily basis. Also, we're very lucky because she's the perfect person for us to find out and ask about investment grade credit rating because she previously worked at Moody's. And so we want to know how do these credit rating agencies work? What's the likelihood and when do we expect to get actually an upgrade in credit rating for Tesla away from a junk bond rating and into institutional um, investment grade rating? So thank you so much. Appreciate this, Alexandra. Thank you for joining me. Happy to be here. Hi, Harry. <laughs> so it's summer. The sun is shining. It's very bright outside. And uh, I, I, I think that's good time for all of us to get a little brighter today. So, Alexandra, you've been just on fire lately. I've been following you so closely. Um, you, you had your big uh, YouTube uh, episode with Farzad, where you were so passionate about uh, the issues with ESG. You've been following and doing daily tweets about investment grade credit rating. You just interviewed Gary Black with Farzad. You've interviewed Ross Gerber. You just had a comment back from Elon <laughs> and Sandy Monroe. You are just amazing. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, but yeah, it, I mean, this is crazy because this all started with a little Twitter account, right? And then I just jumped into it and did more and more. And it, it's true, it's come to a state. I mean, I don't like the word famous, but I think I have a certain reputation now, and it's uh, it's good. I love it. Well, when did you start uh, Twitter? It, it sounds like you just started oh, I, recently. Yeah, I I actually had the Twitter account for a couple of years because you know I'm an expert. I, I moved to the United States, and it was a means of. Um, connecting with a couple of people that I've lost uh, sight of, but not right. at all in the Tesla community. And when I started investing in Tesla, which was after we test drove our first Model 3 uh, in 2020, yeah. I don't know how I actually got into Twitter, but that was just the moment I went on Twitter and, and checked it out. And I thought, what? Well, how about I change my name and become the Tesla Boomer Mama, which was a <laughs> complete coincidence, right? I, I think, and I'm wrong, but I thought my birth year, 1966, was already Boomer. So I was a Boomer and I was Tesla and I was a mama because I have five children. I mean, five young adults now. And, um, and so it just happened. And then... By investing all of our money into Tesla, when yes. 99% in, in Tesla, yes. um, I started to check out the big whales. That's how it really it really started, and uh, looked every day at Ark, who at that moment yes. had still a very very big position of more than five million shares. Um, and I thought, well, I'm a former fund manager and um, fund rater. I'm, I worked for Moody's doing fund ratings. Uh, I thought I have to keep an eye on them because we have daily movements. And if they ever make a big movement, I have to obviously protect our family's money. If they know something I wouldn't know yet, that was a good means. And 
And then it just took off. I mean, it, it, it's such a coincidence. The last two years have been crazy about that. I love it. Oh, my God. That's a fantastic. So that's right. You actually provide a service and information to us, much like Gary Black does or James Stevenson, where it's real data, real analysis. And it's a pleasure for us to actually get that information. So let's get into um, institutional investors. But I'm going to actually wait a little bit. Let's get right into investment grade credit rating first. That's sure. you and I. <laughs> We've been having a lot of fun we in did. that topic the it last several real. months. <laughs> Uh, so I really appreciate this. So I, as everybody knows, I, I'm the milestones guy. I create this milestones list. One of them is investment grade credit rating. And maybe you can be the person to explain to everybody in a very simplified manner what's going on. Why does it matter? Why isn't Tesla yet where it is? And if you can show your table that you like to show, please yeah. uh Tell us more about this. I'll do that. Let me first yeah. put the, the scene. So we have three major rating agencies worldwide, which are Moody's, S&P, and Fitch, but Fitch is by far third. So the two big ones are Moody's and S&P. They do for businesses and for states and for certain structured products uh, analysis and then give ratings, a little bit like a credit score for a private mm. person. The, the investment grade ratings go from AAA to uh, to B. So that's four steps. Triple A, double A, single A, triple B, or Moody's has the equivalents triple A, double A, single A, and then BAA. Uh, long story why they have different. <laughs> they may have the difference in the how they call it, but actually, mm -hmm. I think 96% of their ratings overlap. They mm -hmm. always do the same thing, they watch each other and, and, and adopt. So for Tesla, the rating is just one notch below this investment grade. So it is still what is called speculative grade or junk, meaning BA. Um, and, and so the next upgrade would directly be to become um, uh, investment grade. If they move up, which is the only direction possible because the, the financial results are so good, it would become investment grade. So why is this so important, this investment mm. grade? There are still a large number of pension funds and investment funds that will only consider investments in shares that are investment grade. This is so antiquated that that itself is a problem because, you know, it, first of all, shares and investment grade actually have nothing in common. Investment grade applies to the credit worthiness of a bond issuer, somebody that mm -hmm. issues debt fixed or variable right for two to five to 20 to 30 years or even infin infinitive and has to pay back this debt with a yearly interest. Mm -hmm. And the rating will give you an indicator how credit worthy this company mm -hmm. is. And the least credit worthy it is, the more it has to pay a premium for mm -hmm. you to lend the money right. to, to, to make the work. So using the credit ratings to select stock is absurd at the base. But there were long, long-standing old rules from the SEC who said, well, certain funds only have to use in um, issuers that are credit rated and that have an investment grade rating. So that existed. Now, the SEC is currently abolishing that because after um, the financial crisis of 2008, they realized that the rating agencies were just absurd, had made many mistakes. I still think they were the needle hole that made this whole crisis work. Mm -hmm. If they wouldn't have attributed those triple eights to all these asset-backed packages, mm -hmm. we would have never had the consequences we had to go through. But there we are. Mm -hmm. So um, they were never really punished for it. They paid some small amounts, but it was ridiculous. But 
Congress issued then, so about 10 years ago, um, an act saying all federal agencies, meaning mainly the SEC, have to reconsider any link to the credit rating agency. So the SEC slowly but surely mm -hmm. is now taking this off. Okay. There's still a little hook there, and that's why there are still companies that are linked to credit uh, ratings. But it is it is swindling. There's no doubt about it. So I'm saying this all because lots of people change their habits very slowly. So you have pension funds, you have investment funds that love these ratings. That's how they have done business for the last 50 years, and that's how they continue doing business. When I left the financial markets in 2007, I think about half of funds that looked at investments for stock or, or bonds were going with the investment rate okay. rules. When are 15 years later, the financial crisis passed by there. I, I do believe, for my estimations, it's probably down to 10% now. Okay. So 10% is very conservative. It may be somewhere in between the 10% and the 40%. So what I did is I took the market of all worldwide pension funds. Why worldwide? Because an investor in the Philippines, in Germany, wherever, mm. may as well be interested in Tesla than an American pension fund. So I really think it is a global theme. Do I want to invest in, in Tesla or not? Um, so 55 million, sorry, trillion, 55 trillion dollars of pension funds. And then you have to add about 63 trillion of mutual funds or ETFs. Now, not all of this uh, is allocated to stock. Some of it will go to bonds. Some of it will go to currency. Some of it will go to money markets. Some of it will go to real estate or whatever. But if you consider probably half will go into stocks. 40 to 60%, depending on the market sentiment for stock, right? If everybody thinks the stock market will go down, obviously these numbers vary. But let's just for the moment use 50% of that. So if you use those 50%, if you use my 10%, you get to about 10 trillion mm. that are today still watching this. And that may those 10 trillion is just an, an, an enormous number that corresponds to what happened with the S&P 500 inclusion of people that had not considered Tesla so far, but may now consider it. Now, contrary to the S&P 500 inclusion, where we had a fixed date in December 2020, right. and everybody had to purchase, right? Um, here, it's not going to be a fixed date. But nevertheless, I do believe once investment grade for Tesla is announced, First of all, the market will move just in anticipation of all this new money coming into the, the, the Tesla mm. stock. But then over short months, maybe mm. one or two years, lots of institutional money will come in. These people will have committees, will well analyze Tesla, will maybe start with a 0.5% allocation, 1% allocation, whatever. But they will move into the stock. And those are, those are stockholders that will hold these are rarely people that then trade. They may trade a little bit by trimming because they take off all equities a little bit off or increase. But the, the, the basic part that they're acquiring in those months will stay in those portfolios. For a long time. So what is your guess then? So you said that it's going to be spread out over months and maybe even year, right? But mm -hmm. what what is the impact of the stock? Is it a 5%, well, it 10%? Yeah, it will dry out the float, right? At the moment, we have quite a lot of float. At the moment, we have about 44%, I think it is, institutional investors, 17% 
um, that are held by insiders, Elon, the family, the board. Um, so that uh, puts us to about 61%, and the other 39% are retail and retail. speculators, right? Hedge funds, yeah. market makers, and whatever. This part that is currently, well, available because the institutions are on the low level. The current institutions are not going to sell. These are index funds that have to have the 2%. These are, there's already too few of those already there, right? So, so the, the, the remaining 39% will be in high demand, right? These people are buying. So the retail investors are not going to sell. I don't know whether you're going to sell, but I'm not no. going to sell. <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> um, and so by not selling, there is only one way sure. it's up. Right. And so how much is it up? That, that's now it depends really in what market environment it, it moves. Yeah. If it comes okay. in a very bullish environment, this can go very far without any other fundamentals changing. If it goes in a, in a bearish market, this could help Tesla to decrease its beta. You know, at the sure. moment, Tesla moves at about 1.6 times of right. the Nasdaq. Yeah, yeah. That could yeah. really bring it down to, to just being at the Nasdaq or even below. Okay. Okay. So do you want to show your table that you did to explain yes. to people how this compares? But we I still haven't got like a percentage from you. <laughs> so if it's a bull market, can you say five, ten percent impact mm, of the stock? You know or? why it's you know why it's complicated? Because it's um it's going to be spread over time. You know, you would have asked yeah. me for the S P inclusion, you can really calculate what is needed. Here it's it's much more complicated to say when it's going to work. So can you see if I put the no, the There it works, right? It does. Okay, so what I did is I listed the 30 largest mega caps in the world, and I took out two for which I didn't have consistent data, which was the Chinese company and the Saudi Arabian company. So these are the 28 biggest companies worldwide for which we have consistent data. Um, I listed those by market cap. Um, so the Apple is on the top and it ends with App Buy. On the bottom, it has some Swiss companies in there, French company in there, Chinese company there. Uh, obviously, um, also um, TSMC. So you have in the first column, the market cap going down. In the second column, their current cash flow from, uh, from operations. And then you have five uh, matters of how to calculate ratios linked to debt. Remember, ratings are the credit worthiness of paying back your debt. Hmm. So while the rating agencies, which I obviously know because I work there, take a lot of other things into account, the main measures are the debt measures, right? So I calculated for all of them the cash to debt ratio, the debt to equity ratio, the debt to EBITDA ratio, debt to, um, debt to revenue, and Alpha and Z and um, put those in the five columns. And then in those five columns, I put the best results in dark green and the worst mm -hmm. results in dark orange and anything in the middle got graduated. On the bottom, I added 10 car makers. So none of those 10 were in the top mm -hmm. 30 market caps, but slow, slowly but surely they arrived in the lower parts. So I extracted the 10 for which, again, I had consistent data. There were more like, for example, BMW, I didn't have consistent data. Uh, the newer ones, the EV ones, I have them hidden behind that, but I had no ratings for them. So I, I used the ones that were the biggest and I had consistent data and ratings. Same, same scaling system, um, green if it was good, dark green if it was very good, and dark orange if it was very bad. In the two columns on the right, 
were the ratings, the ratings by Moody's and by S&P side by side. And as you can see, most of them are uh, just corresponding to each other. And uh, there again, dark green the best, um, lighter greens going slowly down the ladder. Everything that's green is investment grade and everything that's orange is speculative grade. Mm. So the, the only three that are speculative grade are uh, Ford, Renault and Tesla. So that was the the start. It actually started, funnily enough, it started on Twitter a Saturday where I started with only the ratings and the uh, the market caps. And then uh, James from I cannot underscore enough said, oh, how about you add that and that? And then other people jumped into the conversation and, oh, and add this and this and this and that. And that's how the first table saw its light in January, no, sorry, in February 2022 with the Q4 results. And so this is the third version of it. Um, three quarters later. So for three quarters, the situation is always the same. Mm-hmm. Tesla gets better and better. These are the best results for Tesla. The rest is mixed. Some of them get slightly better, but most of them actually going down. The second quarter of this year was a tough year for most industries. The ratings stay stable for everybody and nobody gets a better rating, especially not especially not Tesla. So um, in this version, I also filled in this horizontal green line uh, below the Tesla name, just filling in for everybody's evidence that Tesla is second best for mm-hmm. the cash to debt, fifth best for the debt to equity, fourth best for the debt to EBITDA, best for debt to revenue, best for Altman Z, which for me is the most important, and then third last at the same level than the Ford and Renault for the ratings. And these are against the top market cap companies, against the automotive companies. What is Altman Z? So Altman Z. Um, so Mr. Altman was a junior professor at uh, NYU <laughs> in 1968 when he came up with this formula. So this formula exists of five ratios that I think is too complicated to really explain here, but anybody can go on Wikipedia where they give it a good try. Um putting them together, having certain coefficients for each ratio, mm-hmm. and then adding them up. To make it very simple, Altman Z scores of the number three and above show that the companies are in good health to not go bankrupt in the next coming two years. It's all with a vision on two years. Yeah. Between 1.1 and 3, they are in a gray zone. Below 1.1, they are in danger. So the only one here below 1.1 is Renault in France, which uh, I do believe the state of France will help if ever you know mm. it really goes bust. But nevertheless, it is a it is a complicated situation. But all the car makers, as you can see uh, on the bottom mm-hmm. uh, column, uh, are in the orange field, meaning in that yeah. gray zone where they're at risk. Yeah. Um, again, remember the number to get over in the good zone is three. And Tesla is at 20. Yeah, so it's it's ridiculous, isn't it? Obviously, Tesla has almost no debt by choice. They have significant cash. It's ridiculous how much cash they're, uh, they're generating. Their earnings is so high. And it's green across the board. So what are we waiting for? What is happening? What's the politics? Can you maybe share some knowledge about that? <laughs> Yeah, um, I mean, the politics, I can only speculate, but I do have the clear feeling and maybe we should um, stop the sharing here. I I have the the clear feeling that there are shenanigans going on, right? Because there are two rating agencies, right? If if this would be 
just mathematics and good analytics, one of the two would move, yet both are not moving, right? So they, they are sitting it out. Now you have to add this to the whole ESG situation we're getting later in that where S&P really treated Tesla in a very mean way in May this year. So I do believe there is a common understanding by this establishment that Tesla has to have a difficult road to everything. Nothing shall come easy, right? And so this rating upgrade might happen quicker if Tesla would have debt, right? If Tesla would have debt and would need the rating to issue the debt, they may see a financial incentive to open the books again and look at it again and make it happen. I mean, that's ridiculous because their job is not to rate correctly because they get paid for it. Their job is to rate correctly, right? And then whenever somebody issues debt, they get paid by the, by the issuer. Yeah. But since Tesla doesn't issue debt, they yeah. don't open the book. They just sit it out. They, but I do believe there's also something more political about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, we've had these discussions in the te- in the Tesla Twitter sphere for a long time. Should Tesla work on its communication and play the game a little bit better? By not playing the game, well, it is for sure not helping these established players to see an interest to do any favor to Tesla. Yeah. Okay. And and then uh but then you're saying that there is a chance that August. So you are you are hoping and assuming and hope wishing that you have some knowledge that you think that it could happen. If it's gonna happen, you said it was August or December. Can yeah. you explain what you're thinking? I can explain there? that, yeah. <laughs> um I mean in my bed with you, I, I nailed myself down to August. So there I am. Yeah. But I'm okay, I'm suffering. It's okay. Um so when the results came out third week of July, I straight away updated my table for Tesla. I obviously didn't have all the results for all the other 37 companies, but I realized straight away that the results had gotten significantly better from last quarter to this quarter. So the situation was getting even more ridiculous. So I said, okay, mm-hmm. we've been sitting this out now for three quarters in a row. Right. When will they do it? They should be ashamed of themselves. There's no doubt in my mind. So I had the hope they would do it as an at a moment where they could sneak it into daily news in a moment where there were few people paying attention. And that mm-hmm. is typically, I mean, I've been in that rating world, um, beginning of August, could be late August, but not much lo- longer anymore. And then again, between Christmas and uh, and, and year, uh, end of the year. Why? Just because there are fewer market participants. It's a, it's a mm-hmm. lame duck period in terms of news. Nobody would really pick it up here. And even if they pick it up, it would die in half a day. So that could have been good reasoning. But obviously, so far, they're not there yet. We're not, what, yeah. 22nd? So I still got a little week of hope. Yeah. Because if not, I've lost my bet with you. <laughs> For those who don't know, Alexandra and I made a bet. And that uh, we're hoping that uh, if it, it, she's hoping that it'll happen before the end of August. Yeah. Uh, and if it doesn't happen, then she needs to super follow Earl of Frunk Puppy. But you've already you already fallen, <laughs> so you gotta yeah, I, I mean, take the so joy out of me. <laughs> I felt so bad for him because he was like the collateral damage in this whole oh, yeah. story, right? And I thought no, I can't do that. I can't. Okay. I can't. I, 
I just interviewed Earl and we're, we're fine. We're happy. <laughs> we're good friends. Actually, it happened after your interview because, you know, he yeah. was sitting in his axe with the white chairs behind him. I said, oh, this is such a nice guy and we're having such He's a blast nice on him. So that I think I should super follow He's a great him. guy. Well, this is hilarious. Okay. But, you know, obviously I want it to happen too. So it's like, I don't want to bet against it, but... Um, but you'll you know, actually pay it anyway, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> just for fun. But I'm hoping it works, of course. Um, so that's interesting. And then so one the other thing that I really liked about you was you have been tweeting quite regularly and trying to get a movement so that we can, you know, make the investment, the S&P and Moody's be aware mm -hmm. that they, you know, we're trying to create a kind of a pressure a little bit of us investors, Tesla investors, hoping that they would do this. And so we've been, you've been tweeting this out daily, trying to let them know that this is something that, hey, we, we, we don't want to stand still here. We want you guys to do this. Do they need, um, do they need debt? So does, is it better if Tesla actually gets more debt to be able to do this? Or can they do this with the, such a small amount of debt that they have? I mean, at the moment, so, so in theory, they can rate anybody even if somebody doesn't have debt right okay. there is something okay. called unsolicited rating so if if the market yeah. by itself says oh we would really love to know what the credit worthiness of a certain corporation is yes moody's could sit down or SP could sit down and why do they do that is they hope that in a second time afterwards the issue comes to them and says look you've given me a certain rating i now want to issue that let's sit down together and make yeah. it a better rating or at least work it together because obviously the lack of information in those moments if there's no exchange of any other information than than the publicly available information may give them cover of saying it's a bad rating just because we don't have enough information yeah. so um it could happen at any moment and it should happen at any moment okay. it's overdue it's overdue for yeah. this time so my understanding was it was October of last year when they increased the investment in the, the rating up one, still junk bond, but it yes. went up at least one. Correct. And at that point, they said that we we need to see Tesla have gross margin, excluding the regulatory credits, to be above 18%. And they were like, let's take let's see what happens with um, Germany, Gigafactory Germany, Gigafactory Texas. Open, open. What do you mean open? Oh, they, it has to be yeah. opened. It, yeah. It's done. It's so then, done. right. So it the, those two factories did obviously launch. They're actually active, and the gross margin is not only eighteen percent; it was over thirty percent. And exactly. uh, and so it's at this point they've run out of excuses. Yeah. Um, so, so that's what really we're trying to, to do. We're trying to build up some pressure. We yeah. had a little bit of exposure in the press. Uh, maybe I should tell the story with Seeking Alpha. So one of, yes. the, uh, of my Twitter followers had a good idea. Said, Alexandra, how about you publish an article on Seeking Alpha? That will give you exposure. I mean, not that Seeking Alpha is easy pro-Tesla exposure, but I thought, give it a try. So I, I wrote a, an article on Saturday. Lots of people on Twitter helped me proofread it. It, it. This is really a great family, I have to say. You know, you <laughs> need something, there's always somebody there to jump in. And, um, and so from slept the night over it, always sleep over one night and mm. still felt good about it. So Sunday morning, I sent it to them, actually quite a process to submit them stuff. But anyway, and there it was hanging in there. So this morning was still hanging in the queue saying they will review it. 
And so I tweeted that, you know, no surprise, we don't get the express treatment because we write something positive about Tesla. They definitely reviewed it and mm. sent me back 11 points I would have to improve in an article mm. that were more or less four graphs and what I just told you in the first couple of minutes. So it, there wasn't much to it. Well, it shouldn't be bold. It should be italic. shouldn't be this. shouldn't be that. But 11 things that it shouldn't be. So, um, so I told them what I thought in a few words. And that was that. And I'm obviously not subscribed to seeking out finding more. And they came back with they came back with a DM saying, "Oh, one you of meet this is no, no, this is it. Goodbye." I have tried. I, honestly, I tried, and I think I'll just publish it on another platform. Exactly. But but I mean, how ridiculous is it? But it is a completely insignificant but typical example of what happens when you're a protester, right? You have to move the walls because mm -hmm. they just try to always be against you. It, it, and I just can't understand it. I don't understand why. why yeah. I mean, I, I can see that not everybody has to be as enthusiastic as us, right? Because it takes some vision and you may only see the EV vision and not the rest, like we discussion we had with Gary the other day. But to so hate Tesla, so hate Elon Musk. I just don't get it. It's it's yeah. crazy, right? We'll talk about that shortly. The enemies that are forming against Tesla. So let's let's talk about the next topic, which is um, the uh, the institutional investment in Tesla. Mm -hmm. So Gary Black had tweeted out something about two weeks ago, and he showed that if you compare all of the market, the mega cap companies. And how much institutional investors invest in them? Institution investors are underowning Tesla, and basically all the mega caps like Apple, Google, Meta, and others are typically around sixty percent or seventy percent, something of that nature. But there's only forty-four percent of institutions that are invested in Tesla. Yeah. And you know this because you've been tracking, in general, these ETFs. So can you show your table that you have been tracking? So this is exchange-traded funds of whether or not they've bought or not bought Tesla, right? And and then at what point are they buying Tesla and why? And can you explain to us what decision-making they make and why yeah. they haven't? Can you see that? You're going to need to. Yep. There you go. That's good. Because I, I don't see you anymore because I'm obviously on the other tab. But um, but there we are. Let me try to pull it a little bit bigger. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what we did here is we did, I think, for 300 and hmm, yeah, 297, nearly 300 um, ETFs, some of them huge, a table where we filtered out those that had any Tesla holdings. Mm -hmm. So those are the ones in yellow. They have something. Of, of Tesla, and you see there are only 32 of them. Of the 300, only 32 have a Tesla holding. Everybody else doesn't have any Tesla stock. Can you explain what an ETF is, exchange-traded fund? Yes. So an ETF is a cheap version of a mutual fund. Mm -hmm. And um, how it works is in the good old times, you had investment funds. In the very good old times, you actually had to pay a load to get into the... That's a little bit like when you go to a Ford dealer and they do a dealer markup. That's about mm -hmm. the same system. Right? You, had, you had to pay an entry fee to get into, into mutual funds. And then mutual funds had quite high management fees. And sometimes you even had an exit fee, uh, right. depending on what type of, of fund it was. So it was lots of fees. So they saw the market um, of um, ETFs grow because it is much 
less costs that are on the back of the investors. And those are funds that are exchange traded. That's what ET stands for, exchange traded funds. So they are daily quoted on the stock exchange and you can you can buy and sell them like stock, right? You don't need to go through your financial advisor who puts in an order and you get it only at the closing price. You can trade them every day. So this liquidity brings a lot of challenges with it, but it also brings something that the SEC put in place, meaning the funds have to publish overnight their holdings at closing of the last day. So that was my initial approach for the ARC funds. That's why I wanted to see every night or the next morning what they'd done yesterday to see how they evolved in their in their allocations to um in, in tesla stuff which was actually an interesting story just for the fact when i started they were still building so that was in february 2021 when i started following them and in 2021 they were still building up their tesla position which was between 10 and 12 percent but they had still a lot of growth and the market was still quite favorable and then i saw them declining and in, uh, in in terms of value of shares um just because the market was difficult they they didn't see and didn't protect themselves from this bear market um and so proportionally the 5.5 million tesla shares that they had melted down to 1.3 million and that was something i was really happy to be able to communicate to people because people mm. always were concentrated on this 10% limit because they had first position being Tesla, not always, but most of the times at 10%. So people felt comfortable about it. But what happened is with that stupid 10% rule, they actually forced the funds in times where assets were decreasing because prices were going down and investors started to back out of the funds to sell Tesla. Yes, it was still 10%, but the number of shares went down. So today when you participate in yeah. all it only has now the exposure of 1.3 million Tesla shares and not of 5.5 million Tesla yeah. shares anymore. And that will cost you dearly that the, the, this lack of shares yeah. that, yes, you are at 10%, but you're 10% at a very low level. Yeah. So anyway, so, so that's how I got into this whole topic. Then Ross Gerber set up his um, Gerber Kawasaki GK fund. Um, months later, actually, it's I think it's his annual birthday tomorrow on Thursday. Mm. Uh, Gary Black set up his his first future fund, exactly yeah. future fund. Um, and so I had those, and then a couple of months later, one of the Twitter followers said, "How about you also include Ted Park's VCAR?" I interviewed him on my channel as well. Very different structure of a fund. Um, currently concentrated in about eighty different mega caps and tax has a couple of Lucid and, and Rivian stuff as well in there, but a huge Tesla option exposure. So while the fund itself acts, yep. acts more or less like a growth fund, uh, but a conservative growth fund, it gets a lot of push by sometimes having 60, 80, or sometimes even over 100% exposure to Tesla just by option play. And so that's interesting to follow on a daily basis, just because I think he's a very bright guy. And um and, and it's it's nice to do. So so that's how I got into the subject. And every morning I publish my little analysis of what I've seen the day before, what Ark's doing, start screaming about them. And <laughs> Is it representative, though, if you see these these funds, Ark, Ford Fund and Gerber Kawasaki? Is it representative of what other funds are doing or uh, not, right? Yeah. So that's, that's where this table comes in place. So in July... 
uh, Gary threw this question out uh, mm. saying, so um, do we know, Alexandra, do you know? I mean, he didn't just pose it to me, but I felt compelled to answer <laughs> yes. um, what the other funds are doing. Uh, other funds also investing in um, Tesla. Mm. And so um, we took the time to... I had two people helping me again from the Twitter community. I was screaming nice. like, "Need help!" And there they were. I, yeah. This is really great, I have to say. And uh, and so then we set up. Let me go on the spreadsheet so I can show it easier. So we we set this up, and um, and you can actually obviously like in you know, every good spreadsheet you can sort it by allocation. Oh, this is not what it's supposed to be here. Uh, by allocation um, of uh, Tesla. Exposure. Mm -hmm. So that's all the zero percent, but all, those are the biggest. So you see, for example, in VCAR at that moment, that's Ted Parks, he had 59. But the second biggest allocation in Tesla shares is the future fund from, from Gary. Great. Then you have a couple others, but these other ones are either small or have a completely other subject, meaning it's it's not really about Tesla. They they sometimes have 10%, but they can drive it down to zero. And then you have very then you have Gerber Kagasakis and then you have the three arc funds. So by following the six that I follow, mm -hmm. I do follow the ones that are have the highest Tesla exposure. All the others have less and 90% have none. Just like none. So let's talk about that. Why haven't they invested in Tesla? What's going to take for them to invest in Tesla? Very good question. So maybe the credit rating, mm -hmm. right? Um, so that could be one. Could also be that they have to be more comfortable with the stock, right? The, 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 the discussion that we sometimes have with Gary is because he seems to understand them better than us. I mean, I, yes. I'm losing faith in understanding them. <laughs> <laughs> and he, uh, he feels they are... Um, you know, sometimes put off by Elon's behavior, find it erratic, or the they, um, the whole Twitter story gives them an overhang, or um, they can't extrapolate the growth of electric vehicles, right? They don't see the whole growth situation. Um, they are too worried about China or whatever. So they, they always find a good reason why they would not do it. Um, I think the last thing he came up with was um, no succession plan for Elon. I mean, I love that one because it's at the same time that yeah. Elon is sporadic, but then there is no, <laughs> right? So right. what do you want? But there you go. So, um, so yes, they have good reasons, but they will lose their convictions for good reasons when the stock outperforms. Portfolio managers are a very specific breed of people, and I can say that because I was one. Mm -hmm. They are measured daily against peers or against benchmarks. I hate benchmarks. That's another subject. But even if it's against peers, you don't want to underperform compared to others. So if you suddenly have Tesla overperforming the rest of your basket and you are underweight or zero weight in Tesla, while you should be 2% or you should be whatever, you will jump on the bandwagon certain, certainly late, but you don't want to be seen as that one who missed completely the opportunity, right? So it was a tough year for Tesla in the sense that the, the stock didn't perform well. And since it has a beta of 1.6, it performed worse than others. But 
the beta of 1.6 will obviously be done the voltage when it goes back up. So that's why I think this credit rating has actually an implication, not only for the ones that have their antiquated rules of, yes, we have to respect credit ratings, but also for the others thinking, okay, if those other people now all jump on the bandwagon, I don't want to be the last one standing and my peers will have outperformed me. Because the thing is with Tesla once it rockets. We all know it rockets really hard. You know, it's, it's one of those stocks that can take 10% in a day. There are not many others of this size of the mega yeah. cap capable of doing that. Yeah, so I, I guess we have to just look at it as an opportunity that mm. while it's disappointing that these institutions haven't yet uh, invested in Tesla and we're asking why and so forth. But the opportunity is that this is a big market cap company, fifth largest in the world with an incredible growth story. The product is obviously top notch and everybody, the market share is just at the very beginning and it's almost unlimited than the sales it's going to do. And yet the institutionals haven't come on board yet and they will, and they will. And when they do, it's going to again, at least. Do and let me add one to that one. I completely yeah. agree with everything you just said. They consider today's price earning ratio already expensive. This is ridiculous, but that is because they typically, like most value investors and some of the older style growth investors, they argue present from the past, right? So yeah. they are today still at a multiplier that seems horrendous to them. If they would just extrapolate current growth without going any further, and yes, we all know there will be much more, but they would quickly understand that a year or two out, this is nothing. This price is nothing. That's why my one-year target is um, 2,200, my, my current 12 months target. And I'm so comfortable about it. I, I, I have no right. doubt what we will get. So this is pre-split, of course. Um, yes. And you're saying 2,200, one year from today, as opposed to what we're, we've all been doing is trying to do the end of the year. You're yeah, because I was actually asked yesterday to a 12-month yeah. target. And I, I just felt like, you know, that seems a very good horizon. Okay. Yeah, I've still stick into my fifteen hundred at the end of the year. Yeah, uh, I, I agree with you on that one. But I've been telling people that I think it's going to happen in January fourth or fifth after the Q the Q Q four print on January second. <laughs> then then it'll start going. That but but even the Q three, I think, will be good. Yes, I mean, of course. Uh, I'm looking at Troy's number at the moment. I'm thinking it's not a little bit too conservative. I can't believe it. He he changes it as he gets more data. So he can't he won't make any jumps until it gets more. But it's looking good. Everything's looking yeah. good. Q three, Q four is on track, as we all expecting. But yeah, so these you know it's great that you're tracking uh, both the ETFs and institutional investors and investment grade credit rating. Mm -hmm. It's uh, it's it, we can come up with so many excuses. I saw that uh, Gary Black he gave out like a list of five or six, and then you had your next five reasons why institutions aren't investing quite yet. Um, and uh, but we just got to keep doing these. Getting a bit sporty, right? He he didn't reply anymore after that one. <laughs> Oh, he will. He will. He's busy. He will. He's, he's he will. And he gets me. Back. But you had you had some very good points. So he. I'm hoping that your so your points were very good anyway. So let's not get into it because I, I I would it would be great if I showed you the actual tweets so we could talk about it. But that's okay. Um, so let's get to the the next topic, which is why are so many headwinds for Tesla? Why is it that we feel like we are a small group that seems to get the story, but everyone else isn't and or fighting it? So clearly, well, there's enemies across the board, right? There's the oil companies, there's the um, energy companies, there's the car companies, there is the media. But it also feels like there's the S&P and Moody's, and then now there's these um, institutional investors as oh. well. Or, 
they're yeah. the same. That I think that's what people have difficulties understanding. Okay. Um, currently, car makers. Currently, car makers need to finance a lot. Actually, funnily enough, we'll make it oh. subject by ESG. Okay. So car makers and rating agencies are the same. They are commingled, right? Oil companies need car makers to sell the petrol. That's the same. We're talking about the same group. <laughs> when you talk about lobbying in Washington, I mean, what has happened with the current administration is just yeah. ridiculous, right? So you also have to understand that when people in certain functions, be it Nashda or whatever, feel that an administration in place, so currently the Biden administration, is so favorable to, let's mm -hmm. say, GM, well, they think that's the law, right? That's the right way to do it. So by certain, by setting certain signals, the rating agencies, politics, unions, oil makers, lobbyists pulling their strings, it's it's all the same establishment moving together. Press is just a collateral damage of the whole movement. I don't think the press by itself decides to be against uh, against Tesla, but they get fed so much FUD and, and negative news that that's what they're taking and that's what they're running with. No, I mean, but also it does make sense where if you follow the money. So you just finally made it more clear for me. You made me understand now. Okay, gotcha. So oil companies clearly is enemy number one is Tesla. And then oil companies, they uh, car cars, uh, the old ICE internal combustion engines are the ones that will need gas. And so they are one and the same. And then they are the ones that borrow the most money. And therefore, the S&P and Moody's need mm. them to borrow money so they can get their cut out of this. And then the the media company, they're the ones that spend the most for advertising. Mm. So Tesla is basically a death knell for all of these. You, you don't need to buy oil. You don't need to buy these ice cars anymore. You don't need to borrow. <laughs> they doesn't need to borrow any money and they don't have to advertise. <laughs> and, and all that because us relative early adopters, I still think we're still even today, the people that still buy Teslas today are for me still early adopters. Yes. The market is still enormous, right? Here yeah. in Santa Barbara, my son always tells me they're going to run out of clients. I said, you must be joking. This morning yeah. went out of the door. There was the big lorry coming again with nine cars on it, right? So the... I just don't believe that Tesla can, in the next couple of years, run out of clients. I just don't believe it. So the the the, the problem is we're early adopters. There's still a huge mass of people that is easily convincible. I have no friends, zero friends, that will not have the next car being an EV. Yes, they may agreed. not all okay. buy Teslas. They yes. may not all buy Teslas because they don't have the budget for it or they don't right. can't wait for six or 12 months or whatever, but it's all going to be EV. So yes. for yes. them, there's a real problem. Now add to that the OEMs having their franchise model, which is really difficult. I'm, I'm working a lot with franchisors and franchisees in my day job. And I can tell you, getting out of those franchise contracts with their stores and their and their uh, repair shops good luck for them that's going to cost them millions and billions so there's so much linked to it and then they all point to the same direction right when we gave back funny story when we gave back in in may 2020 our bolt we just had to cross the road to pick up our tesla right it's the same days five minutes there it was under covid so you didn't meet much people so we went there gave the bolt back gave them the key backs 
And then they saw us leaving and the guy said, and another one crossing the street. I heard him say it in my back. So it must be every day that they see people bringing back their GMs and crossing the street and picking up their mm-hmm. the, the, the next Tesla. Okay, so you've explained to me. That's great. So tell me about ESG. What is ESG to the layperson? Because you blew up and very passionately you were explaining in Farzad's episode about the corruption and ESG. So this kind of wraps up all the things we were just talking about, I think. So can you explain that to us? I completely agree. This wraps it up and this actually showed it in clear evidence for once. So this was a very sad episode. And just to put this into into context, while I was a fund manager, so I understand how to analyze funds. I was a Moody's analyst. I understand how the credit rating agencies work. I had my own uh, rating agency. Um, I left the financial market in 2007, so I had no clue about ESG. When I mm-hmm. first heard ESG was about three or four months ago, I was in my first interview with Warren Redlich, and, yes. and that day it happened in May uh, that S&P had taken Tesla out of their ESG index, right? right. And I just heard about it and I said, what's this now, right? What gimmick is this now? And uh, And then I started really getting interested in it and it became horrendous this Mm. is the biggest scam where we're living i mean i know there is other crap around and politics and whatever i don't want to get into that but in terms of financial this is really the biggest thing i've seen in a long time so esg means environment social and governance and it started in the early 2000s somebody had the good idea to put these three letters together i think that was a stupid idea but there we are and then it's sort of kept on moving in the social warrior sphere for a couple of years, died its calm and came back up, but nothing much happened. Um, and then in, in the late Obama years, they started this Paris Accord. I think hmm. probably you all remember mm-hmm. there was a big meeting in Paris of all these leaders and they shook hands and celebrated that they've come up with the Paris Accord. And in Europe, this idea, so, so in Europe, that was very important. So this idea of ESG took off by itself. In America, there were a couple of think tanks mainly driven by Bloomberg. So you had a couple of global players trying to define what ESG was. There were certain consulting firms set up trying to get data on ESG, who was, everything was about goodness. Who is good for the environment? Who is good socially? Who is doing everything right in governance? So it was about setting standards, but a couple of different initiatives. And then last year, the COP26 happened. Biden, President Biden went there. And all the 26 nations agreed that this now has to become a standard, right? Now, this sounds like not much, but it's actually very scary. So what does it mean becoming a standard? So these 26 nations signed up um, uh, a certain organization called EFRP to create a board called ISSG um, to set a worldwide standard for ES and G data points and these data points would have to be published in every quarterly and annual report of every any company in the world so i started digging into that and i looked into who financed ifrg so this mm. that, that was the big moment where i realized this is a huge gravy train and lots mm. of people are interested and this is not about goodness at all anymore this is just 
you know, yeah. people institutionalizing an idea on which they can make a lot of money. So it was mainly accounting firms, the four big accounting firms, and it was states, and it was actually petrol companies, and the same mm. actors that we just discussed, the, yeah. the OEMs, especially lots of German companies, remember they were ones of the early ones with the Paris Accord, who just had all signed up. So they're all donating to this foundation who is setting up this board, who is determining what data has to be asked for. And so they are not asking who is producing the cleanest cars or who mm. is doing, that's not what this is all about. This is about being good in a woke sense. And I'm not completely against wokeness, that's not what it is, but this is politically driven. So the questions asked are steered to make certain look better and certain look bad. Yeah. So that that's the 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 angle, and it's not neutral at all. It's not because it's governmentally endorsed that it's neutral. It's not neutral. Let's just make this very clear. So I'm sorry this is getting a bit technical, but I think it's important. Yeah. So the high level of this is that people in the general public or the millennials specifically who are looking to invest in companies that are good for the environment, for example, they will look at this ESG rating and then they will think, okay, government organization ranked this as really high. So that means that they must be great for the environment when in fact it is being run and funded by the same old players, and they kind of pulled the strings to decide if they can get high ratings. And so it was ridiculous that a company that's an oil company could actually be a highly rated exactly. ESG company when Tesla is, they'll make excuses and say, you guys are not good for the environment, not good social, not good governance, when it's like, what? <laughs> exactly. So let me let me explain to you what happened there, because it's absolutely crazy. Um, so... In the meantime, until this COP26 happened, lots of actors had set up their ratings, rankings, whatever. So MSCI was a big player in this field. S&P jumped on the bandwagon. Moody's jumped on the bandwagon. So they're buying these old boutiques that I told you about at the beginning doing this data research. Wow. So S&P wow. was also the biggest index maker anyway. Everybody knows the S&P 500, whatever. Set up very early an S&P 500 ESG index. So that's exactly the same than the S&P 500. It has the same market cap because S&P mm. 500 is nothing else than a listing of market caps, right? So it had the same in there. And then these people were sent questionnaires and they had to answer questions. And obviously, Tesla would answer. I mean, can you imagine Elon when he gets the hundreds of questions? Exactly. Let's just not talk about it. <laughs> and so, no, exactly. And so um, by doing this quantitative analysis of data points, which was completely random already, but let's just give them the benefit of the doubt. Tesla obviously was still eligible to remain in the index. And so once that was done, they obviously wanted Tesla not to be in the index mm -hmm. anymore, even though it was the fifth biggest mega cap of those 500. Mm -hmm. So then they did something that is called stakeholder and media analysis. Now, you have to understand stakeholder oh, is God. the opposite of shareholder. I mean, a shareholder yeah. is a stakeholder as well, but stakeholder is anybody who may have an opinion about yeah. the company. And there they decided that stakeholders had too bad an opinion about yeah. Tesla. They found a way. They they found a way. Exactly. And so that's why I, I love taking this as an example because it just shows their bias. Okay. Right? So S&P 500 is a basket of companies and uh, investors look and say, okay, I'm going to invest in S&P 500. And now they've created a similar version of this, which is another yes. index with S&P ESG. And then Tesla's not in it. And so people like a millennial who wants to have money and they want to invest, they'll go, I'll put my money in this S&P ESG index because it's a bunch of great companies that are doing wonderful for the world. 
but they don't realize that Tesla's so not even in there. Mm-hmm. And it's the same companies. <laughs> exactly. It's the same 500. Took out a couple of them. And so and, and they have so next chapter of this book, which is absolutely crazy, is how do you remain in it? So to remain in it, mm-hmm. you are money. and call the okay, there you got it. You can I got call it. Them and they come and they consult you to explain yeah. to you how to fill out the questionnaire next year so that yeah. you can remain consulting in it. fees, membership fees. There you are. All sorts of fees. And if you don't pay it, then you're not going to get in it. And it's all, and it's owned and by the stakeholder house. analysis. Did you get it? Herbert? Okay. Stay, okay. <laughs> stakeholder analysis. Got it. Uh, and they're the, they're the biggest stakeholder. <laughs> uh, can you imagine the thing? I mean, and, and that was really, actually, it was really funny because I thought that was the death moment for ESG because, I mean, yeah. it's just so gross, right? It's impossible. But what happened is they went very quiet. So since May, because everybody knew that was a big mistake, big mistake. And I mean, I'm screaming it from all roofs, but nobody else wants to pick it up because the media doesn't want to play that game, right? So at the moment, I'm just waiting to see whether ESG comes back in. I mean, in the meantime, there are thousands of funds that are sold with ESG labels on it. And the young people believe it. They just think this is it. And uh, there we are. And the, the, the worst thing about it all, there is now debt. So if you're GM... You can either issue debt with your credit rating, which is still investment grade for no reason whatsoever, or they have actually the best ESG rating in the car yeah. industry. It's, oh, it's crazy. Okay. <laughs> well, so I, I have a friend who kind of like debated me a little bit about should they invest in Tesla or not? And, you know, my position about Tesla investment. And their, their big point was that, you know, Tesla is fighting these industries. Mm-hmm. And these industries are not going to um, just lay down and let Tesla win. And so, you know, it's a huge headwinds for Tesla to win. My argument is that, yes, that is absolutely true. And we went through all the industries like we covered a little bit today. But it's I think it's over. I think it's, it's, it's the genie's out of the box, whatever term we want to say. But EVs have won. Yeah. There's no one out there that thinks that uh, internal combustion engines companies will 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 take over the market mm-hmm. and crush electric vehicles. They might slow down the EV uh, market share, but, and if anything, what we're seeing in China with 50% of all new sales being electric vehicles in Nor- Norway and Finland with 70%. Yeah. And then of course, um, the US is still at 15%, but with the recent uh, bill that was passed, everything is just on its way. So did you see this morning that there's a Chinese region now, nothing in the south of China, but the whole region, uh, region set up from 2030 onwards, no more other cars than EVs can be sold? Yeah, so I, I don't think that's the only one. I've, I've heard that California, other other city, yeah. uh, jurisdictions are all making statements that after a certain year, yeah, they but will only It's coming quick. I think that, that was very quick. significant. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, so yes, these, but that is part of the revolution, right? It's a revolution. Mm-hmm. If you have something that is uh, very, very disruptive, it's going to kill industries. And we're talking the um, biggest industries in the world, yeah. which is energy, which is car companies. Yeah. They're going to fight to the nail. And yet it does feel like Tesla is finally getting there. So I'm just saying that it, it is slow. It will be slow, but we are winning. Tesla is winning and it's going to take over eventually. And that's the opportunity. Um, 
Can you tell me a little bit about your personal story? You've mentioned earlier that you're, you you decided to put your money into Tesla. Can you tell me like your personal thinking about how you mm -hmm. change your investment? And what kind of investor are you? I consider myself a forever bull as my term for myself, which is a buy and hold investor. Mm -hmm. I find once in a generation kind of companies, and then I consolidate all of my money as much as possible to that. And so previously, I did that with um, Apple. Mm -hmm. And then very recently, I moved it all to Tesla. And that was a very hard decision because Apple's a very successful company, will continue to succeed. They have dividends. That was like cash flow coming into me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm letting that go to Tesla. Tell me about your story, like in your investment, like what made you decide and so, what kind of investor yeah. are you? So, so my story is a little bit different because for yeah. me, Tesla is the first stock where I'm all in. Okay. Up to now, because I was a poor breed fund manager, I was all about diversification, right? Yes. You would have told me any stock had to have between 5 and 10%. It was already, you know, a major commitment, nothing yes. ever over 10%. Gotcha. And so our portfolio, my husband is much more uh, taking risks, but mostly with options. But me, it was really much mm -hmm. more about diversification. Mm -hmm. um, and so when I, we had first the um, i3 BMW, we, we arrived in the United States in 2014, obviously in Europe, was still difficult to get electric cars. We had tried for Renault Zoe, but it was impossible to get, and moved to the United States, to California in 2014, bought the i3. Mm -hmm. And that was a cute car, slow, a little range, but a cute, you know, interior, a bit futuristic, and, and good EV. And um, when that one, we actually leased that one because we weren't sure about technology, how quick it would mm -hmm. evolve. We thought we'd rather lease it and we'll see what happens in two or three years. So we had a two-year lease on it. And um, at that moment in 2017, we were on the wait list for Model 3, but it was like way out, right? That was the beginning of the ramp of the Model 3. So we said, we need another car, we took the Bolt um, mm -hmm. and delayed our Model 3. And um, the Bolt was an okay car. You know, it, it was an upgrade from the i3 because the range was now bigger. You could suddenly do a day trip with it. I mean, not easily because charging was complicated and still is for anything that's not. I mean, you don't even realize what, if, if you had no other car than the Tesla, mm -hmm. you don't even realize how crappy all the rest mm -hmm. is in terms of infrastructure. And, um, and so we had from 2017 to 2020, both still not invested in Tesla, still diversified portfolio. And we knew in May um, the, the lease would, would be up for the Bolt, and now what? So looked into Tesla, the M3 would be available in time. They proposed a test drive. The Tesla center is not far away. We went there, mm -hmm. couple of corners. I mean, I can tell it was instant. It was yeah. even now, two years later, I'm still like, oh, the moment. And that's you remember that moment. Day, right now. I have the X. I can't even remember anymore. But there you go. And um, came back and I said to my husband, this is it. Mm -hmm. We have to sell everything and buy Tesla. And he said, well, that's mm -hmm. good because the market just plunged. I wasn't even looking at the market at that oh. moment. So that was the beginning of COVID. So we were able to get shares at a really, really good level. It was a yes. pure coincidence. Um, yes. Did all that, got our first Model 3 in May. After a week, ordered the Model Y on top of it. Just It was evident that we didn't want any other car. Tried to convince our daughter who's driving a Subaru, but she's still mm -hmm. in a Subaru, but that's another story. And, um, and so we had two. We since then changed the Model 3 to 20 into a 22 model. So we have a new one. And we changed the Y into an X long range. Mm -hmm. And the X is just 
this is my car. Like I'm getting possessive with it. It's really mm -hmm. bad. And so in terms of in terms of investment, we're all in Tesla, except that in my uh, IRA, which is still a small IRA because I've only been here a couple of years, um, I put half of the IRA in Gary's fund just because I follow it all the time and I find he's doing a really good job. And I thought, look, this is my little cushion if ever something goes bad with Tesla. But I'm like you, I'm a buy and hold investor. That's why I have that little cushion. You know, if ever I would need liquidity, I would probably mm -hmm. sell the future fund first if that's, you know, the, the thing, because with Tesla... You know, you can have moments where it's difficult, where where the the stock is just suffering so much from external pressures, nothing to do with the execution, just whatever. Mm -hmm. And then I want to have a little bit something that I can sell. I needed to sell some Tesla stock this year for for my for my taxes. Mm -hmm. It was horrible, <laughs> and I bought them back. You have no idea. I was spending well, nothing, nothing for weeks. I was like, no, 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 no. I need to get there. I have my number and I'm back at my number. I'm actually exceeding my number. So it's very interesting about you because you are a fund manager who all your life you've been, your philosophy is a fund, a basket of many stocks. Like you said, less than 5%, no, nothing more than 5%. And then now you, for you as, you know, like somebody with that kind of a perspective to actually then, and you were saying you're primarily a conservative person yeah. and your husband is more of the risk taker like i'm more risk taker so i've always wondered about this because if a conservative person uh probably with a kind of outlook you do you see tesla as the safest stock or do you see it as a very uh risky stock and then related to that is i love to have this question which is 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 tesla one company or is it a basket of companies? Is it an ETF yeah. on its own? Exactly. Let's start with that. So Tesla is already a very diversified company, right? So that's. Do you truly believe that? Oh yeah. I How can you say that if the argument is that ninety-five percent of its revenue is car sales? Sure, because that's what the currently they're using the batteries for. But the mm -hmm. day they have enough batteries to do other things, they're just ready. They're ready to go. And I just okay. hope they do HVAC because once they do they that's it. Then then they're all there. All oh. of them. Like oops, oh. homes, exactly. And that's it. Goodbye for the rest. But yeah. anyway, um, my feeling, and, and that's also my, my attitude to the stock. I mean, I see the stock every day because I need to actually put it in my daily sheet because my ARC and future fund stuff derives of it, right? It's one of the key numbers I have to put in there to do my, yeah. my little analysis. So I see the stock price, but I'm completely detached from the stock price. I know, and it, it, it's yeah. crazy. I just know that nothing compares, right? Yeah. So when people tell me, why don't you, who knows so well, do projections to two years, five years, 10 years, whatever? I said, I don't need projections. Mm. It would actually be an insult to my time and whatever. I am convinced about this stock. And, and it's not as if I'm a blind believer in Elon. I think from time to time he does mm -hmm. not do the right decisions. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. They're executing. And the car is the best car there's ever been. There's nothing mm -hmm. even halfway comparable. And the stock is not comparable mm. to anything else. And so once you've gotten to that state of conviction, you lose all your education. You lose all your... Well, wait, wait, you're sounding like you're saying that you're falling in love with a stock and rule number one is don't fall in love with a stock. No, no, but nothing compares. How could I now... See, to do a basket, to do a basket of, for a fund, you need about 30 stock, right, to do a nice... How could I find 29 other stocks that compare to it? It's impossible. I can't find five. I can't find right. anyone. I mean, uh, you know, you can argue that uh, Amazon, the meta, the meta stocks, right? Or whatever, the manga stocks, Apple, Google, 
Amazon, right? Maybe N NVIDIA, maybe Roblox. But for me, I look at those and <laughs> it's just like you. It's like, yeah, but they're not going to 5X. They're not going to 10X. They're not going to do robots. They're not going to do energy. <laughs> so it's like, I just... Uh, yeah, I'm just going to put it here. And, and you know, I, feel, I would <laughs> somehow decision. feel as if I'm betraying my own conviction. Well, there you go. Now you're talking about your love again. Okay, you got to be careful. You got to be careful. You got to be careful. No, no it, it's not. It's not. Uh, the car actually is love. I can tell you the the X is like. It's uh, not interesting. On, yeah. on Tuesdays, you'll see tomorrow. On Tuesdays afternoon, when I, at four o'clock, have to get in the car to go to that meeting. You love it. Yeah. It's just. I'm actually, I think I'm going to the meeting to go in the car. <laughs> no, it, it is funny. My behavior has changed significantly. Like I used to be so upset at my daughters. Oh, let's get going. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. And I'm going to wait in the car. And I'm very upset. Now it's like, it's okay. I'll just sit in the car and I'm playing my Sudoku. I'm playing my games. I listen to my music. And then, you know, when I used to visit, um, uh, when I used to visit, like, uh, let's say I, I dropped off the car to the service center or something like that. I instead of sitting at the the lounge area, I go back into the car and I sit in the car. <laughs> I had this morning mobile service. You know, in the refresh X, they have yeah. this bar below the phones where you have the security reverse and neutral and all that. And ours functioned, but you couldn't see the letters. So I, I put in a service request a couple of weeks ago, and and they came this morning. I mean, everything is so nice. The guy was nice. In fifteen minutes, it was done. We had a good chat. He was happy with his job. I was happy with his. I mean, it was just great. Where do you have that? I do remember having to go to service centers and just losing half a day. Everything was a pain. No, they come here. Yeah, I mean, I've been hearing uh, horror stories from people about Tesla service, and I agree with that, except uh, my experience three times has been amazing. So mm -hmm. the, re the recent one was my 12-volt battery had to be replaced. Mm -hmm. Every car has a 12-volt battery, not the big battery. And it's a common issue. And so number one, um, they said they were going to do mobile service. Wow. They're going to come to my house and do a quick replace. But then because they looked into the car, they noticed that they needed to replace the rear hatch. It was a, a, a recall and they go, let's just do this now. I said, mm -hmm. fine. So I, so first of all, every day you're communicating with them through an app. Like yeah. what? You're talking yeah. to them on an app. Every day they give you info. You talk to them, questions. It's like amazing. I drop off the car. They give me a loaner. I'm like, wow. And this is all free. It's like no cost at all to anything. Yeah. I'm like, well, this is the best experience ever. I'm so happy. Just amazing. So same for us. So we have now for a bit more than two and a half years, no, two, two years and three months, various Teslas, right? Quite a, I mean, a couple of services. It's not as if it's happening a lot of time, but quite a few uh, service uh, appointments, always only half an hour. Never was it more, right? Replacement in and out, or they came mobile here, except for one where my son was at the origin of an accident. So it, it needed more time for the entire time. We had an S in that time. We wanted to go to, to Vegas and I didn't want to leave the S to my son. So I left our car, the Y then to the son and took the S. So we took the S mm -hmm. to Vegas at a good time in Vegas. I can tell you, brought it back. I said, you know, we put some miles on it. No problem. That's it. Amazing, amazing. Nice. All right, let's uh, let's uh, let me ask you about super catalyst and the upcoming catalyst, and you tell me if you think it's a catalyst uh, and if it's a significant one. Let's okay. say over a five percent impact to the stock. Okay, and I know this is all guesses, all assumptions, but it's curious to see what your opinions are. Oh, do I have are. no investment advice and all that? 
Yeah. It's not investment advice. You probably need to because you yourself as a analyst yourself. So you got to be yeah, careful. I'm, but I'm a um, private, uh, retail yeah. So, okay, let's go through this. So we said already investment credit, get credit rating. Hopefully it might happen this month. If not, it'll happen in six months or maybe a year. But what, what do you think investment grade credit rating will significant, be? Significant, but over time. You know, significant, I would say over three to six months once it's announced. Oh, good. Okay, you get a three to six month. I thought it was going to be six months to a year. But okay, that's great. Uh, stock split happening Thursday. Couldn't care less. What's I it going to do to thought, the stock? I never thought three was a big deal. I, you know, yeah. a higher number might have been it, but the price is just not high enough. Yeah. So I, I, I don't put much on the stock split. And we're already Monday and yeah. the stock hasn't moved, although some people told me that it's already jumped from 650 to here. So that's they already took care of that. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you think about AI Day 2? Not at all. I think it's going to be a good recruitment event. I think we're all going to be excited because some robot is going to dance or pick up something yeah. or whatever. And there may be something that's really fascinating and nobody else will get it. What about I, don't even think, I don't even think there would be even a, a buildup. I think Wall Street is tired of these days. They don't yes. understand it. They don't want to get involved. So I don't think there's anything happening there. Agreed. I totally agree with you there. Master plan part three, when he put, writes that up. I am really looking forward because I want to see his capacity yeah. to build this up, to scale this. Where is he going? Is it only the bot? Are we already talking multiplanetary? But again, this is for geeks like us, right? Yeah, agreed. Um, I, I doubt that it will move the stock. I mean, I just can't see, you know, if Gary doesn't move, can you imagine all the others? Because, I mean, he's yeah. still trying, but all the others, whatever. No, it, it, may, it may interest ARC, but ARC's model is not built on these things. So I doubt Okay. Uh, Q3 earnings, when that comes out in uh, October, right? No, September, January, March, April, May, June, July, August, September, yeah. October. <laughs> I, I think exactly. I think that'll be a big mover uh, because it will, we will outperform all uh, prognosis. I'm very confident. Okay. Uh, do you think that there's going to be gigafactories announced at the end of the year? Yes, before the end of the year. And... Um, my bet was actually on Asia. I wasn't. I was between uh, uh, Indonesia, Japan, maybe even South Korea, yeah. all that. But it seems to be now Canada or at least the East Coast from yeah. all the rumors coming out. So, but I do believe we'll have one. I do believe that will move the stock a bit, not as significantly mm. as the rest. Okay. Anything that I'm missing? Is there anything that's a true catalyst that I haven't mentioned yet, like FSD beta? Anything there? No. They don't understand FSD beta. I, yeah. I just don't believe they understand it. The second thing is, will there be? I'm oh, sorry about the door. You may have to cut that. Is my son no coming back from his job? No problem. Um, the the one thing that maybe you're missing is the Twitter overhang. You know, yes. If if, if he does, if Elon doesn't buy Twitter, he committed to put the money back into Tesla, so that may give it a, a good raise. Um, if uh, he buys Twitter that I think will just give a, a good small push to the stock as well, just because it's over now, right? And and I don't agree with Gary on the point that institutionals will be worried because now he has a company more. He always running SpaceX, he's already yeah, running, running, he's already running boring company. So I'm sure he will, you know, put the right people in place for Twitter as well. Okay. Wonderful. Did you see today that he's going to subpoena uh, yes. Jack? 
Yeah, I think that they're friends, and I think that that's uh, he agreed. Jack, uh, he wouldn't do it unless Jack agreed. And yeah, I think but that Jack's also gonna... means that Jack is on his side, right? Yes, yeah, that's what I mean. And I think Jack's gonna basically say that they knew, you know, that there's fraud. That's a major joker for him. Yeah, and I think what's going to happen is it's going to force Twitter's hand to raise or to lower the price uh, in order for them to get out of this quick and then, now. Yeah, I think it was just a move. Mm. So I'm happy. All that's all good. I agree with you. Uh, Alexander, thank you for your time. You bring gravitas. Like I said earlier, you're not just somebody who has opinions. You actually do the work. You have real data, true analysis. And I've really been enjoying these kinds of interviews where we really get to see your work uh, you know it's important because people need to, if you're heavily invested in tesla like we are and many people we know this information matters and you don't want it may sound a little dry in some parts but it's critical you understand this because this mm -hmm. has a real impact so yeah really appreciate this time thank you so much alexander okay <laughs> please follow her on um, twitter at uh well, if you look up Tesla Boomer Mama, that's probably the easiest way, but it's uh, at MME Alexandra S. Yeah, uh, and the MME is actually because I opened it when I was still in my French environment, so it's for Madame, and then I just never changed it. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can easily change it. You know that, right? It's like I know, but I just feel if you change it now, people may think it's, it's yeah. bizarre, or I should call it Tesla Boomer Mama straight away. I don't exactly. Know. Exactly. It actually does. It changes it everywhere. Not an issue. But anyways, thank you, everybody. Thank you so much. Appreciate it.